right. Um, <laughs> I was thinking this week that I would really love it if you or somebody could hear the sermons that I preach in my car. They are really good. I mean, outstanding. The comedic timing is perfect. The right balance of laughter and tears. And then we just like really hone in on the scripture together and hear God's word. It's amazing, amazing stuff. I wish you could be there. As it is, you're stuck with the immobile me without a steering wheel. (laughs) So I think we should pray. (laughs) God, come and give us ears and hearts to hear from you this morning. Open up, crack open our hearts, God. You have something for us, for life. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Most of my biggest victories, I realized, happen on the practice field. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. Some of my biggest victories happen on the practice field against imaginary opponents. Yeah. Um, my parents live on a little half an acre, and I used to, have, I took part of their yard as my miniature soccer field, and uh, I had a lot of great victories on that soccer field, a lot, a lot of them. Well, I had like an almost 100% winning percentage. I, I lost one game. Do you remember the 86 uh, World Cup? No, you be honest, you don't remember. Yeah, because you're thinking to yourself, wait, the United States wasn't in the 86 World Cup, and I would be very impressed that you knew that. I know you don't, but I would be impressed if you knew that America was not in the 86 World Cup, but I was. In the imaginary 86 World Cup, I was there, and uh, we lost one of the early round games, and, but we came through. It kind of made it more dramatic when we, when we won in the end. Most of my biggest victories happen against imaginary opponents. All right, we've, we've been uh, following the story of, of Gideon, who this guy who was called by God to save his people after seven years of oppression by these other people called the Midianites, right? So God came to this, this uh, wheat thresher, um, Gideon, and said to him, I want you to be the person to bring my people back from the brink of extinction. So the first battle that God called Gideon into was to remove these places of worship for false idols. So God's people have been worshiping gods who weren't real gods. They were not worshiping the one true God. And so the first thing, like to clear the slate, God said to Gideon, I want you to clear these these places of worship out. And Gideon did it. He beat those false gods all over town. He was outstanding. Like people were, were just amazed at his ability to have victory over imaginary opponents. <laughs> and it was so great that the people changed his name. They changed his name to Jerubbaal, which means let Baal, the false god, contend. So his dad and all the people in town, they started calling him this name, which what they were thinking was if, if Baal is, is truly a god, then Baal will contend with Gideon who has done this thing. And if he's not, then Gideon would contend with Baal. And what Gideon learned throughout this whole process is that false gods don't show up. You know, it's actually okay to pick a fight with a false god. It's okay to pick a fight with a false anybody because you know what? They're not going to show up. (laughs) The best kind of fights to pick are against nobodies. So it's okay, but you know, it's also like a waste of time, I think. Why would you fight against something that's not even real? So Gideon, he could have kept fighting against these false gods. Like, this was a, a path of just 
100% victory. He, he would have had a winning percentage that rivaled my 86 World Cup experience. But I, but I hear the story, and I'm, I'm convicted. I don't know about you guys. We're going to get into it in just a minute. I fight against unreal things all the time. I can, I can fill in the gap of information if you'll, if you'll let me, but it might not be real. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in the middle of pretend battles that just sap our resources and sap our spirits. So just like a starting question for today, what are you fighting against? Is it real? It might be, but just it's important. Ask yourself the question, is it real or not? After this, God said to Gideon, Go in the strength you have and save Israel. And then as we heard last week, Gideon went through this period of struggling with God, and and he called together, during that period, he called together an army of 32,000 men. And after he did that, and he was done kind of wrestling with God, and he looked up and he saw that there was an army of 32,000 men, I kind of wonder what Gideon thought of that. Like, was that a good response to his call for an army to go up against the Midianites? What was he hoping for? We don't know exactly how many the other side has had, but we have this, this image that comes a little bit later in the story. It says, the other side had settled in the valley, thick as locusts, their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Now, I don't know if that's hyperbole or not. I don't know how many camels it takes to have equal the, the grains of sand on the seashore, but I'm imagining also that there were probably, what, 10, 20 men at least Per camel. So, so what we're saying is that there were a lot of them. How big is your enemy? We don't know exactly how big the Midianite army was, but I wonder, do you ever spend more time worrying about what the other side has than what God has for you? 32,000 seems like a pretty good impromptu army. You know, uh, Gideon didn't go through some like year-long recruitment process. This was just like he sent out to call overnight, and these men showed up. I don't know what he thought about the number that, he, that showed up for him, but I doubt that he thought it was too many people. When God came to Gideon earlier in the story, again, he said to him, by your strength, I will save my people. And if you remember, we heard that a few weeks ago, it sounded kind of ironic, because Gideon was living in a hole in the ground, <laughs> and he was the lowliest member of the lowliest family of Israel. And so now, here he is after a period of wrestling with God, struggling out in the open, and he comes back to God and he says, God, here is my strength. He had 32,000 men behind him, and he said, God, I've brought my strength with me. They're right behind me. And he was like, guys, flex, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Show God. <laughs> this, is, this is my strength, God. It's right behind me. What do you think about this, God? What do you think about my strength? And by the way, these men that were behind Gideon were also living in holes. They were also living in caves. They were living scared. They were living in fear of their enemies who were coming in and stealing all their food. So if you, if you think about their enemies, their enemies were stronger because they were eating the food that they were supposed to be eating, right? And God seems to say to Gideon, I think you missed something. Because Gideon, I am your strength. If your army is your strength, you are in trouble. If there is any more consistent message in all of God's word, I don't know what it is. God comes to the little guy, 
all the time, like the least likely person to be the hero of the story, right? That's what he does over and over again, and he does it in order to save his people by his strength. Now, we could broaden this, and I don't know really like how to soften or sugarcoat this, but if, if our wit is our strength, if our fortune is our strength, if our muscle is our strength, if our platform is our strength, then we are going after a false god. The, the god of Jacob and Gideon is your strength. 32,000 men is not Gideon's strength. It's not enough. <laughs> so God commences to whittle it down, which doesn't make any sense. His army is not big enough, <laughs> but God commences to make it smaller. Here's the story for today. Chapter 7 of Judges. Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me, they would say. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. I looked up a few theories of tactical war maneuvers, and this isn't one of them. You would think that if I have, you know, four kids in my household, it would just come naturally to me, like tactical maneuvering, and, and our parenting has progressed over the years, but I just thought, I'm going to check in with the pros, so I kind of looked up, like, like what the idea is, is behind this. At first glance, reducing your army by more than two-thirds seems like a, you know, a kind of a bad move, right? Regardless of how big the other guy's army is. A more common approach would be to make your forces actually look bigger than they are and to look stronger than they actually are. It's called military deception. Make the enemy think you're bigger and more powerful than you really are. You know, typically, if you're about to, to go and do something that's really hard, something that you've never done before, you're going to plan and you're going to overplan. You're going to prepare and you're going to overprepare. You're going to pack everything you could possibly need and then you're going to pack it twice, right? You want a contingency for every single possible situation. You want a show of strength to scare your enemy, even if your enemy is a test that you have coming up at school, or the fear of a test coming up at school, or a difficult task at work, or a hard conversation that you have coming up this week. You want all of your resources when you go into those things, right? Like you, you want your calculator. <laughs> you want all your leadership books. You want all your patience. Reducing your resources by two-thirds is a bad idea. Can we agree on that? So, surely God will correct this. Let's continue on in the story. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. Thank you, God. <laughs> if I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water... There the Lord told him, you have to picture this, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. I don't really know what that means. All the rest got down on their knees to drink in a civilized manner. 
Now, here's a tactical maneuver that I I feel like I know where God's going on this one, and this makes sense. I can explain what God is doing here. He's already gotten rid of those who are shaking in their boots, and now he's going to get those who are are too dumb to know how to drink right. (laughs) That's that's where God's going, right? No. Verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. He kept the not-so-smart dog lappers. (laughs) And if you're doing the math here, 31,700 men have gone home. So if the Midianites are watching, they saw a vast exodus of people who look like they're running scared. And if you think about it, this is perfectly in line with the whole story so far. God came to the least likely person and the least likely family to start saving his people, and now he's pulling together the least likely army of 300 men who lap their water like dogs. So there might be some hope for us, right? (laughs) You thought you might just be the little guy that's down in the hole, and the, the whole story, you know, of God's salvation and big stuff is happening over your head out there. You, you might be the least likely, but don't settle for that story. Your army, if your army's drawing down, it might be a chance for God to go to battle for you and to do something big through you. So if your army seems to be deserting you, I want you to know that God has not. Because false gods, you know, they don't really show up anyway. (laughs) And God is with you. Let's take a minute to look at this. He kept the brave, like his first thinning out of the troops, he kept the ones who were not trembling in their boots. So he seems to like to use brave and willing participants. And then he kept the ones who didn't follow proper drinking etiquette. So what does this mean for us? It means that we are called to, to be brave and willing, to be willing to follow God. But we don't have to be perfect in order for God to use us. We're actually going to kind of like put a pin in the story right here for today. And I know like there's tension in the air and you're like, what's going to happen next? <laughs> 32,000 down to 300 people and, a, and there's a battle still ahead of Gideon. I, if you want to read ahead in the story, I can't stop you. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want you to, to draw your attention to something in these last few lines that we read for, for today. It said that 300, the 300 that were left, right, took the provisions that presumably 32,000 people had been carrying. And on top of that, they grabbed their trumpets. (laughs) Why is that detail in the story? I mean, it seems like trumpets either don't matter or they're part of the provisions anyway, but it's separated some out and says they grabbed all of the trumpets. If you you were with us last week, you heard this in uh, Judges 6, It said, then the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet. Might have seemed like a small uh, side note. He blew the trumpet summoning the army to to come around him. They had enough trumpets for 32,000 men. I don't know if that's 32,000 trumpets. Uh, You know, I don't know how that that worked out, but there were a lot of trumpets, enough of them for 32,000 men, and 300 people were carrying them because they were expecting the Spirit of God to do something and to show up. 
They carried trumpets because they were expecting the Spirit of God to do something against the enemy that was just right down in the valley below them. And it was big, a really big enemy. So and just kind of like continuing in this, like thinking this through, if they were expecting to win the battle, still, like there were 300 guys left, huge army, couldn't even be counted, couldn't even count the camels that were with the army. If they were expecting to win that, what would they carry? Back then, I, you know, I honestly, I don't know if there was a weapon that existed for that size of an army to beat the, the other size of, of army. I don't even know if those existed. But I don't think that they would, the manual would say to carry trumpets. <laughs> if you're trusting in God to show up, I'm just going to ask you today, what are you going to lay down and what are you going to be picking up and carrying around with you, expecting God to show up? Don't focus on the size of your army. Instead, focus on the size of your God. Now, focusing on the size of your, your resources or the size of the enemy army will keep your focus on the wrong thing, and you're going to miss the thing that God wants to do through you. God might want to do more with less. Anybody feel like less? <laughs> God might want to do more with less. He does it all the time. You know, there was a moment in Providence Church where somebody said, I wonder if we can collect enough Food, bag, food bags, people return those back to the food bank to equal maybe like a ton of food. That would be a lot, right? <laughs> now it happens every month here. <laughs> and, and, and today, I'm just, I can't, I'm anxious. I'm so excited to hear what, what, the, what the turn in the hall of food is today because who would have thought maybe we'd even be thinking two tons of food could come in. He does big things through little things. I, I've had many of you ask, asked me uh, to kind of share about our experience in Haiti this summer. Some of you know we sent a, a team down to, to Haiti. Uh, we have a, a project there, a school that we're, uh, we're visiting on, on a regular basis. And this summer we were there in early July when protests erupted across the country. And I, I just got to tell you, like, the team of 17 people felt surrounded by the situation. And for a moment it felt like the entire country was burning because literally there were people all over the country burning tires and, and blocking the road and, and making things difficult. And we felt surrounded, almost literally, because we were in a hotel that had water on one side and on the other side was like the one road that you have to be able to, to take in to get to Port-au-Prince, to get to the airport, to get out, and it was, it was burning. So here we were, an army of 17 Americans who, who don't speak the language we weren't diplomats. <laughs> we didn't have great connections necessarily. Just people trying to follow Jesus, feeling kind of small. It's easy to feel surrounded when you're small. But when you feel small, God is still big. It's almost like the smaller you feel, the bigger God appears. We were, we were sitting there in that situation, the 17 of us, kind of like dreaming about you know, what if Navy SEALs came in and dropped from helicopters onto the roof at night, you know, and like grabbed a hold of us and pulled us back up into the helicopter? We were dreaming about seaplanes landing out there and cruise ships sending help. <laughs> so the day before we left, we were all out on this soccer field, like the only open spot around us, and we were waiting for helicopters, a helicopter to come and take us in shifts to the airport and then be able to take us out of, of the country. 
So we were gathered around after, you know, a couple days of anxious waiting, and we were in the soccer field, and we were just listening, and we heard it. We heard the helicopter. You know, they're loud. You can hear them from a distance. And we were all excited, and everybody's getting lined up. And we were like, okay, first crew, get ready to get on the helicopter. And we sat there, and we looked up. And we didn't see anything. And then all of a sudden, we couldn't hear the helicopter anymore. (laughs) And a few moments later, I got a phone call uh, from the, the group that was trying to help us get out. And they said, the helicopter pilot couldn't find you. He had the wrong coordinates. And he said, so he's coming back to the airport but since he's been returning back to the airport, the protests have, have really ramped up around the airport, and so things are burning all around the airport. And I was mad. <laughs> like, I was angry because I, I had a plan. <laughs> the, the plan was our strength. You know, we had a plan of how we were going to get out, and it didn't happen. But it, it turns out that if, if our, part of our team had gotten to the airport, they would have been trapped there in a really bad situation. So I feel like to my dying day, I will believe that God confused, in his strength, confused the coordinates of the helicopter pilot. So he couldn't find us and kept us in safety because our, our plan, which was our strength, was not good enough. The next day, we tried again, and the helicopters came and took us out in shifts and, and got us to the airport and got us out of the country to safety. So I just want to ask you, are you willing to Reduce the size of your army. I'm not talking about the military. I'm talking about your resources and your your strength that you have built up. Will you draw down your metaphorical troops? Will you depend less on what you have built up and more on God, what God wants to do? If so, I just want to invite you to receive him today. Receive his power. Receive his strength. Give yourself to him. This morning, we're going to invite you to come and receive communion, which is for us like this constant reminder of strength. That as we take this bread, and it's simple, we take bread and we dip it into juice, and it doesn't seem like much, but it is our strength. It's a reminder that Christ is present with us. So we're going to invite you in just a moment to to come and and receive this. Um, Would you pray with me? God, we recall your story throughout history and you keep doing this thing where you you come into the least likely situation and you show your power and you bring salvation to your people and through your people, you're bringing hope of salvation to the world. So little old us, God, we're gonna come and receive this sign of your grace. We pray that your spirit will be present with us. Make this bread be for us the body of Christ. Make this juice be for us, the blood of Christ poured out for us, for our healing, for our strength, that we could be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. In Jesus' name.